The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. It's so good to see people here. And last week we uh, gathered at Nate and Tabby's, and it was just wonderful, just worshiping with people. And I was just thinking, you know, the one good thing that will come out from the coronavirus is that we will appreciate fellowship and gathering more. Because I know of a few Christians in my life who don't go to church. Like, we can just sit at home, watch the service, and we're happy. I'm like, you need people, right? And so now that we've spent all that time at home, when things open back up, we will appreciate even more worshiping with each other. And I hope that that will be soon. So let's pray as we dig into our text uh, this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for the brothers and sisters who are able to gather here this morning and our brothers and sisters at home uh, watching us uh, through uh, the internet. We just pray that you bless our time. We pray that your word will not go out empty, but that it will convict our hearts we can learn to practice what we hear this morning. And so fill us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for this, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Thankful in Anxiety. And so this is the second week of our new sermon series, Happy Thoughts. And the intro is this. We believe that the pursuit of joy does not lead us away from the places of pain. The pursuit of joy leads us along the way Jesus walked. To avoid the pain is to miss the way altogether. The way goes through the cross, but the cross is not the destination. In this sermon series, we'll invite you to rest your thoughts on and in Christ, who shows us the path beyond the cross that continues the eternal joy. We invite you to rest your mind in this happy thought. So when, when I was thinking of the uh, passage that I'll be preaching on this morning, I started thinking of my mom because she exemplifies this passage so well. And so I grew up in a military dictatorship. And so what that meant was the people who had food and everything they needed were the politicians or business people. Yes, there was a middle class, but it wasn't enough to survive because the government was so corrupt. And actually, we, our, our president in 98 was still recovering the money that he stole and stored in offshore accounts around the world up till today. And so that's how bad corruption is. So I didn't grow up eating three square meals a day. 
and I was probably, I don't know, seven, eight. And most mornings, you know, I'll wake up, get ready to go to school, and then I'll sit at the table for breakfast, and my mom will look at me with tears in her eyes because there was no food. And she would tell me that, and I would just drink a glass of water. And I will go to school with empty stomach, and she will say, God will provide. Don't worry. And we never begged too. So I went to school. I mean, I can't even count, but for a long time and for a long period of time, went to school with no food. And sometimes we went the whole day with no food. And it wasn't just us. This was everyone around us. My dad was an accountant and my mom was a teacher. So they had a job, but they went for many months without being paid. But I just remember my mom crying, but she always trusted God. She didn't know where the food was going to come from. But she would always say, God will provide. Go to school hungry, but when you come back, it's going to be something. And I'm thinking, where the heck is something going to come from? There's no food now. But sometimes when I came home, she will have something, right? And God actually did provide it. And she would tell me a crazy story of how someone was thinking about her and came and gave her this and that so that we can eat and her taking some of the stuff she was given to share with our neighbors to eat and all of that. That was my childhood. And that was, that was who my mom is. God will provide. She wasn't worried about a lot of things. And I still haven't met anyone who prays like my mom. When she's worried, she will pray because God is always there for her. So our text this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That was my mom. And I was thinking, do not be anxious about anything. And to be anxious is to be concerned about something. And so is it even possible to go through life not concerned about anything, about those things that keep us up at night, about those things that weigh heavily in our minds, things that we have no answer for. Is it possible not to be concerned about all those things? What about the things that are very essential to our survival? Those things that we have legitimate reasons to worry about. Why is Paul saying, do not worry about those things? Should we worry about the racial injustice that's going on in all other forms of oppressions going on in our world today? Should we worry about the thousands of lives that this pandemic has taken? Absolutely. 
So what is Paul saying? Do not worry about anything. What is he trying to tell us? Well, Paul is not calling for apathy or inaction. Because for us, we make plans in the light of our circumstances. It is our Christian privilege to do so in full trust that our Father knows what we need. In other words, Paul is concerned about anxiety and fretfulness on things that we have no control over, but God has control over those things, and that's why he's saying, do not be anxious. Furthermore, if there's one person who should tell you not to worry about anything, that person is Paul. And this is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 to 31, These are some of the things that Paul uh, went through. He said, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers in danger from bandits, in dangers from my fellow Jews, in dangers from Gentiles, and in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from first believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. And so Paul has gone through all of that, and yet he is the one telling us in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. How is it possible that someone like Paul will say that with his life experiences? The answer is, we can boast in our Father God. And that was who Paul boasted in. Because God hears God knows our pain and suffering, but not only that, He enters our pain and suffering. And that is why Paul can say, do not worry about anything. And then going back to our scripture, he says, do not worry about anything, but in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So what does prayer and petition look like? Prayer denotes the petitioner's mind of attitude as worshipful, and petition denotes prayer as expression of need. I'm going to say that again. Prayer denotes the petitioner's mind of attitude as worshipful, and petition denotes prayer as expression of need. Let me illustrate this point. Uh, with Daniel's story. In Daniel chapter 6, I just want to say Daniel actually gave me this idea, so thank you. In Daniel chapter 6, 
the king Darius appointed Daniel to be one of the three administrators to rule the kingdom. But because Daniel distinguished himself from the other ones, the king decided to place him over the whole kingdom. And of course, in uh, verse 5, his colleagues didn't like that. So they started plotting against Daniel. They started plotting to find something that they can accuse him with. But they found no corruption in Daniel because Daniel was a worthy and honest man. And then in verse 6 of Daniel chapter 6, they decided that we will never find anything to charge Daniel with because he's just a great guy. But we can accuse him with something regarding the law of his God. So if you read with me in Daniel 6, verse 6 to 9, this is what they came up with. Daniel chapter 6, verse 6 to 9. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. They knew they were going to get Daniel with this. Because Daniel loved the Lord and worshipped the Lord. But how did Daniel respond to their evil plot? He knew what the decree was. But what did he do in verse 10? This is what Daniel did. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So this was Daniel's daily practice, to pray three times a day, praising and thanking God for who he is. At the risk of his life, this is what Daniel did. And so the evil men finally got what they wanted, to, to charge Daniel, right? And so in verse 12 to 16, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. They said, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or man except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance to the laws of the Medes and the Persian, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. But when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persian, 
no degree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Can you imagine what was going through Daniel's mind? I mean, this was an issue of life and death. Can you imagine the anxiety that he must have been going through? If you were in Daniel's situation, what would you do? For most of us, for me, I'll probably be consumed with fear and all kinds of anxiety before I can even think about praying to God first. But we know what Daniel did because he did it every single day. He prayed three times a day, giving thanks to God. That was what Daniel did. And then we find out that the king was worried about Daniel's safety. And so at the break of dawn, he hurried to the lion's den and called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, did the God whom you serve save you? And then Daniel's response in verse 21 to 22 was, May the king live forever. My God sent his angels. And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not heard me because I was found innocent in his sight. For I, for have I, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition. Daniel should be a good example for us. When we're anxious, the first thing we should do is pray like he did every single day. And the God whom he trusted and prayed to saved him from the lion's den. And through that act of saving, the king recognized that Daniel's God was the true God and actually made the people in the land to worship that God too. So do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and petition. And then Paul also adds with thanksgiving. And so why is thanksgiving one of the things we should do when we are anxious? Right? It makes sense when you have a problem to just pray and ask God to take away that problem. But Paul is saying that's not enough. With prayer and petition and thanksgiving. One theologian says, Thanksgiving should accompany all Christian praying as the supplicant acknowledges that whatever God sends is for his good. It may also include remembrance of previous blessings. We give thanks during ancient times because by doing so we acknowledge that God is good. And every situation he allows us to be in is for our good, whether the outcome is positive and negative. And we give thanks to remember that God has carried us in the past, and in the same way, He will carry us in this present circumstance. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Daniel's friends, uh, who came to uh, Babylon uh, with Daniel, 
actually illustrates this point. And so in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant iron uh, idol and tells the people at, at a certain amount of time, when you hear the sound of horn, flute, and all kinds of music, you must fall and worship to the image of the gold that I have built. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Jewish boys, who loved the Lord like Daniel did, said, no, we're not going to worship your God. While everybody was worshiping the image when they heard the music, they didn't. They remained true and faithful to the God of Judah, to their God. And then the king gets upset and says, I'm going to give you a chance to bow down and worship this image, or I'm going to throw you in a burning furnace. And they say, no, do to us whatever you want to do. But then this is what they say. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want, to, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Even if God doesn't save us, we won't worship him. And so what they are doing is they recognize God's goodness in saving them if he chooses to. But even if he did not, they still recognize that God was good and had a good plan for them even if he allows them to perish. That's why we give thanks. And then the second reason we offer thanks during moments of anxiety is to remember how God has carried us in the past. If you read the Old Testament, I mean, we just finished the book of Joshua, right? In so many sections in that book, it's all about remembering what God did. Remember, remember how I did this for you. Remember how I fought this battle for you. That's why we give thanks to God. To remember all those things he did in the past. And to remember that if he can do those things for us in the past, he is able to do those things in the present for us. That's why we give thanks. And then to finish uh, the passage in Philippians 4, 6, Paul concludes with this. After you petition, after you pray, after you give thanks to God, present your request to God. Tell him what you need. Make your request known to him. I think sometimes we go through difficult times and forget to ask the one person who created us, who cares about us more than anyone else, and who wants the very best for us. We forget to ask him what we need. Instead, we worry about all the other things that we shouldn't be worrying about. And then later we realize, oops, maybe I should pray. You know, God is there. He may listen. That is what we should do first. Remember God. And so I love the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. And I think there's so much we can learn from that. And so if you can go uh, with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. 
Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. And, Jesus, and this, was, this is Jesus saying basically what Paul is trying to say. 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more info- important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in burns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much valuable than they, than, than them? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worship So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so what is Jesus teaching us from this text? The first thing is life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. In other words, do not be anxious about your soul and your body because those who take your food and your clothing and even cause you death cannot take your life or rob you of the resurrection body. So life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. The second le- lesson I learned from Jesus is you are more valuable than the birds that God feeds. See, God is completely in control of the universe. He feeds the birds of the air. Every berry eaten or insect snatched from the air or worm pulled from the ground is provided by God, which he feeds the birds with. And if, if God can feed the birds in the air, you who are much more valuable than them, how much more wouldn't he feed you and provide for all you need? And then the second point Jesus makes is anxiety accomplishes nothing. Here's a simple practical argument. Anxiety does no good. It accomplishes nothing. It does not help. Preach this to yourself. I am accomplishing nothing helpful by this anxiety. It's only making a hard situation harder. Therefore, let's listen to Jesus and say no to useless emotions and refuse to be bothered by anxiety. Sometimes my wife accuses me of not caring because I am really not bothered about anything. I think growing up and just watching my mom's faith about trusting God I think that's one thing that I have taken from her. During hard times, like, uh, God will show up. In the meantime, why worry? I don't know how to change it. 
And for some people, it would be like, Ibrahim doesn't care about what we're going through. I'm like, I can't change it. So I'm not going to go through useless emotions because God knows what's going through. And anxiety accomplishes nothing. So why worry? And I think sometimes not worrying is the African way too. Because if you don't have too much, you don't have to worry about it. So Anxiety accomplishes nothing. And then the fourth point Jesus makes is the grass and the lilies that God clothes last for a day, but you are eternal. If God is so intimately and lavishly involved with grass and flowers, which are like a vapor, then how shall he not care for his children who are eternal, his children whom he came to this world to live with and die on the cross with to reconcile to God. So trust him. And then Jesus also says, anxiety is worldly. If you're anxious, you are like the world. This is what people who do not know the Lord do. But as Christians, we have hope. Right? We can pray and God may not answer, but that doesn't mean he's not listening. But we have hope. The cross gives us hope, and that is sufficient for us. And so anxiety is worldly. Do not be like the rest of the world who worry about things. We have God, and that's all we need. And we can trust that he knows our needs. And that's the sixth point. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Do not be anxious because you have a Father. He is heavenly, not earthly. And He knows exactly what you need. Father means He loves you and you are on His heart as a child. Heavenly means He is sovereign over all the earth and nothing can stop Him from doing good to you. He knows that you need them means that he is never at loss to know what is good for you. And he has all the wisdom it takes to meet your need. So rest in this. Your heavenly Father knows what you need even before you ask him about them. And then Jesus also makes the point that God will supply everything you need to do his will and his righteousness. There is no guaranteed physical comfort in this world, no guaranteed life on earth, but no trial will befall you, which he will not give you all you need to endure, to be safe to the very end. And then Jesus makes the point that God does not overload any day with trouble. He says, each day has its own trouble, so do not reach into tomorrow and bring its troubles into today. The comforting point is unsaid but obvious. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. So each day has its own appointed troubles. But there are mercies appointed for us every day so that we can bear the troubles of each day and trust that they will be there. 
And then lastly, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. But more importantly, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything shall be added unto us. So how can we be thankful in anxiety? Because we are a people of hope. Because we are a people who have God. We are a people who worship a God who knows what we need even before we ask. And that's why we can be thankful when we're anxious. Because we can trust that God knows what's best for us. And why worry about something you have no control over? But God has the whole world in His hands. He has control over everything. More reason not to worry. Just trust Him. Give it to Him. And thank Him for the past and the present and the future. And this is not prosperity gospel just to end it with. So, thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. And I think we live at a time where we have legitimate reasons to be anxious about so many things. Like Paul says, I pray that through our petition and prayer and thanksgiving that we will table all our requests to you. And Father, Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to seek you. Teach us how to humble ourselves and to seek your face together. We thank you that you never disappoint us. Sometimes you tell us to wait because it's for our own good. And sometimes we wait for too long and wonder if you're ever going to do something that's because your ways are not our ways or your thoughts our thoughts but one thing we're sure of is that you're a good father and you know what's best for us but even in our anxiousness in life I pray that the one thing that we will seek every day for the rest of our lives is to seek your kingdom like you've asked us to and all other things will be added. So we thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.